Welcome to your weekly dose of comedy with your host, Dana Pereira. Where's our participation trophy? Welcome back to another episode of Where's Our Participation Trophy. I'm Dana Pereira, and my guest today is Wild. She's Jennifer Wild, the host of Sober Exposure. That's me. That's what they call me. And I'm not sure that I would consider myself a trophy wife. Maybe, maybe I was a nightmare wife. (laughs) Were you also a participation trophy wife? Did you just get the participation trophy? I I did. I did participate. Yes. Yes, I suppose. Yes. So it's great to be here. Good to see you. You're looking beautiful as usual. I always say I hate doing podcasts with you because I don't like sharing a screen with her. (laughs) Uh, It's ridiculous. Really stroking my ego and uh, I'm not going to stop you. Okay. (laughs) Please keep going. I love your sweater. And where did you get those headphones? That makeup looks fabulous. Thank you. I wore the sweater uh, as like an homage to your name because I love it so damn much. You have like the most perfect name. Well, the funny thing is, is I always now, now what I say is we kind of turn the W to an M because my life these days is more Jennifer mild (laughs) than Jennifer wild for sure. But I did earn my wild stripes. I know you did. And that is part of what we are talking about today because you have a podcast called Sober Exposure. Yes. And this is, tell us a little bit about it and why you started it. So I started it because my mugshot was plastered all over Miami when I got arrested for drug possession charges about seven years ago. And uh, it was really humiliating. I was actually up for this big, this big show, this big morning show. And I was using. And um, so the night before I get start, uh, I was supposed to start this family station at an oldies radio station. Oh, shit. I get get arrested for crack cocaine possession and my mugshot is all over the media. So needless to say, I didn't get that job that I was (laughs) supposed to start the next day. I was in jail. (laughs) It's like that would be a little late for my shift. Um, And by the way. Uh, I need to post bonds. So can you guys bail me out? Uh, <laughs> can I get an advance on my paycheck, please? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't they didn't they didn't look so uh, highly upon that. As they, they didn't think they had made such a great hire after that. They were like, well, maybe that, not the best decision. Uh, crackhead at a family station. Yeah. Can you believe them? That's, you, so, mean, you mean crack cocaine is not a family drug? Yeah, I mean, some families, I suppose, but. <laughs> so tell me, so at that point. All right. So, yeah. So, the, OK, so, yeah, you asked me why I started the podcast. And basically, so I got my shit together and I get clean and sober. And it's like, I want to show the world now that I'm not my mugshot. So okay. I'm not employed. I'm not on the air either. But um, I want to use my my talents of being in the media and in broadcasting for over 25 years and try and spread the message of recovery or, you know, try, let's break the stigma here. Let's make it mostly for me. It's all about breaking stigmas because 
I'm in recovery. Do I work a perfect recovery program? No. And on my show, I've had a lot of struggles. I went through a relapse. I've had a lot of struggles. Mm -hmm. So I don't claim to be the expert. I invite Mm -hmm. the experts on. Um, I'm not sure how Brimstone was an expert. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So basically breaking the stigma, raising awareness, mental health issues, um, addiction, just anything that has to do with recovery, Mm -hmm. whether it's food, sex, shopping, codependency, relationships, narcissism, whatever it is, we, we cover it. Um, when yeah. you listen to my, yeah, when you listen to my show at the very beginning, it says it's like one big therapy session, but it's free. You know? <laughs> so at this point, so you get arrested before you are to take on this new job. How long had you been using up to the point of your arrest? Um, I was, all, I was in the middle of like, um, like when they interviewed me for the job, I was sober, you know, okay. I was okay. It was good. And then um, I think like a week prior, cause we always have the best timing. We addicts like a week before I'm supposed to start the job. I decided it was a good idea to go back and use drugs. Yeah. Uh, right before I'm starting this big, huge job. I mean, was it like it, pressure it, it, related or no, it wasn't pressure related. I wasn't working my program. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. What we addicts are supposed to do to help ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was like, Oh, just one more. If I just go one more, one more hurrah, no, you know, nothing's going to happen. And it's always that one last hurrah where something happens where you either get arrested. God forbid. I've heard so many stories of people like, they, they go out and, and they're going to treatment the next day or detox. And so they're like, we're just going to just roll it out big. And then they never make it the next day. Oh man. It's like a cheat day. That's like what yeah. I do on my fucking cheat days. Like, Oh, right before I start a fucking diet, I'm going to go right. balls to the wall and eat, eat everything the whole and sleeve of Oreos, set. bitch. Take it all. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. So exactly. It's wow. like a free pass. Yeah. Yeah. So was, what was your addiction in particular? Was it drugs and alcohol? Was it yeah. just drugs? Was it drug sex? And I mean, what was your thing? I am one of the lucky ones that is completely cross addicted. So if it makes me feel good, I want more. I'm that mm-hmm. kind of an addict. So the only thing, the only addiction that I didn't get is gambling because I think I like money too much and I don't like, I like to hold on to my money. I don't like to give it away. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it started with alcoholism as a teenager. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was a teenage alcoholic struggled with, you know, alcoholism my whole life. Um, then I got introduced to cocaine and realized how great that goes with alcohol. You could drink, you could drink all night. Yeah, Yeah, really. Yeah. You drink all night and just, oh, you know, and we, and, um, yeah. so, uh, a lot of that happened. And then when everybody was going to Ivy league colleges, I graduated to an Ivy league, uh, rehab center after high school. I went to, Oh, treatment. okay. And you know, it's been, it's been a constant battle my whole life. So with who, this. who decided that you like, did you have like an intervention situation go on? You know, that's a great question. And in a perfect world, I would say I, you know, had responsible parents that saw that they were losing their kid and, you know, decided to put me in rehab. But 
my family, like God love my mother. I love my mother. God bless her soul. But she was so like, what will they, what will the neighbors think? You know? Uh, So like, uh Oh, Jennifer, you have to have a perfect outfit. And this is probably why I'm so fucked up. You know, you have to look good. It doesn't matter how you feel on the inside. As long as everything looks good on the outside, everything's great. And that's Mm -hmm. how I was raised, you know? So I actually came to my parents and I was like, listen, you guys wake the fuck up. You know, I'm an alcoholic and there's, this is a big problem. My father was an alcoholic too. Mm -hmm. And my mother used to tell me when I was a kid, you know, you, you have that predisposition. So you got to watch yourself because, you know, your father's an alcoholic and you'll, you'll probably have a tendency, you know, and you were like, let me jump right into that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was always a little afraid of alcohol and drugs because of that. As a matter of fact, when I was in eighth grade, two of my friends who I keep in touch with to this day, we, my, my parents were out and we all decided that we were going to drink and we went into my parents' liquor cabinet and my friends were all drinking and I was so afraid of alcohol. I was pretending to drink and then they were getting drunk and I wasn't because I was just pretending to drink, but I thought they were pretending to drink too. So when they really got drunk and they were puking all over my house, I was like, shit, damn, they really were drinking and they're really drunk, you know? Meanwhile, they all turned out to be like respectable people with amazing careers and jobs and never got in trouble a day in their life. And me, the one that was scared to drink is the one that's been in and out of jails, you know, almost died, overdosed. Um, and now I have a podcast about recovery to get to the bottom of addiction and mental health issues. Well, because that is what it all stems from. There's usually some sort of traumas that are happening in childhood maybe, or maybe afterwards. I don't know. I know. I mean, I've, I've done my fair share of drugs. I was like a raver. I've, I've never done, um, like heroin or anything like that. I've, I've done Coke. I've done shrooms. Mm, I've done ecstasy. I've done K you know, like I've, I've, You've done it all, girl. Oh, okay. So the only thing you haven't graduated to, you don't have your heroin license. You don't have your heroin wings. Yeah. Yeah. I I tried pretty much everything else. Oh, no, I never did math. I don't think. But anyways. um, Remember. (laughs) (laughs) So I've definitely not done that. However, I know that my use of drugs and alcohol was because I was trying to numb the fuck out of some childhood pain. Was Mm -hmm. that the same thing that you were doing? So, you know, there's a different threshold for everybody with trauma. Mm -hmm. Me, I would say, yeah, my, my biggest trauma was, you know, my mom took me to the mall and her credit card declined and we had to use another one, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Man, you had it rough. That is just right. 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 (laughs) But like, okay. So did I experience trauma? Like, was I, was I, um, molested as a kid? No. Was I beaten? No, but you know, my traumas as when you have a predisposition to being an addict, your trauma could be like, Oh, in second grade, she said, Jennifer is ugly. You know what I mean? And, right. and that's why I became a heroin addict because in second grade, somebody said I was ugly, but mm-hmm. the thing is that would affect me differently than some other kid that someone said was ugly, like yeah. a personality like me. I'll remember that at 52 years old, how many years later that in second grade, they called me ugly, but yes. 
someone else that might not be traumatic. They, they just, oh, whatever. She's stupid. She's an idiot. I'm not listening to her. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, yeah, I had childhood traumas, but there's other people that have had traumas a hundred times worse than me that didn't turn out to be addicts. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Like when it comes to, I mean, alcoholism, I definitely have some alcoholism in my family on both sides. Um, you know, I, I find for myself, I'm very aware of it. I like to drink. I really like to drink. I love wine. I like to drink. But if I ever find myself feeling like I need to have a drink, that is when I'll be like, nope, not having a drink and like stop myself from doing it. So I guess I don't have that particular gene where I am like super predisposed to it, but I do worry about it with my children, you know, like it could skip a generation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't do what my mother did. Don't, don't put that in the, don't manifest that they're going to be addicts. Like my mother, like, don't, you got to be careful when you drink because you have a predisposition of being an alcoholic. Oh, thanks for just manifesting that Nance. (laughs) But when we're talking about like big traumas, little traumas and how, you know, they affect different people. I think about that a lot whenever I'm talking to other people, like is something that I'm going to say, trigger this specific person where it might not trigger another specific person. Do you have that awareness yourself when you're talking to people or your, or your, your son? Not so much. I'm not that mindful because I have no filter and I just say what I say, you know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not that compassionate. Hey, if I, if I bring up some of your childhood trauma, whoops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me also, so you ended up in broadcasting. You were on air for a while for a rock station, correct? Yeah, I was I was I was in radio for a little over 25 years on and off, though. I wasn't at the same station for 25 years. It's like when you're in radio, it's sort of like, you know, when you watch a soap opera and you have a favorite soap opera star and then you put on another soap opera and you're like, wait, she was on that. My she was just on Days of Our Lot. You know, that's that's how radio is. We would just jump around from station to station. You know, it's uh-huh. kind of like you do circuit. But yeah, I started um, in radio very young, actually, my, when I was talking about being shipped off to treatment, um, I'm from Cleveland. I went to Minneapolis. They shot me. They shipped me off to Minneapolis for treatment. Um, and then I was like 18 years old. And that summer I decided I was going to stay in Minneapolis for a while because all my using friends were in Cleveland. And so right after treatment, I decided to get a summer job and it was at a radio station hanging banners. And, um, Probably not the best sober job. You know, they, they talk about having a sober job. That's like working at the grocery store or, you know, just something humble. You know, I got a job hanging banners for all the concerts that were in town and all the wild stuff that was happening. And then um, there was a DJ that was on the air and he used to put me on the air and just we would banter back and forth. And that was the beginning of my career. Um, realized that, I don't know, like for some reason I like lit up in front of the mic. I'm not, uh-huh. I wish I was lighting up for your show today, but, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't know. We just found I had this talent that I, I was good on the radio. And so, um, that's where my career started. And then I got to go home eventually to my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, rock and roll hall of fame city in the nineties when they were building and, and just starting the whole rock hall thing. So I was a big part of the rock and roll hall of fame in in, in the nineties and all that stuff. And parted my ass off, man. 
I was going to say, I mean, that had to have like helped you play into having some wild times and all the people that you must have met. What are some highlights? I met, yeah, I met them all. Um, the, the highlights probably was Steven Tyler of Aerosmith taking over my radio show and just basically doing a radio show with Steven Tyler. It was awesome. I sat on his lap. I fed him grapes. And then the newspaper came because they wanted to do uh, an article about it. And the same studio that I've been in every single day for the past five years of my life, Stephen Tyler's in there. And he's like, oh, you want to get me something to drink? So I went to go get him water and I walked right into the wall. (laughs) I walked right into the wall. And the worst thing is, is the local newspaper was there. And they were doing an article on it and they friggin' put in the article. Oh, Jennifer Wilde walks right into a wall, you know, oh, like oh my they, they, they had to mention that. Yeah. So, um, oh. yeah, I mean, I met everybody. And for the most part, you meet. Oh, also a big highlight was like, I'm a, a Dave Grohl freak. Like, I love Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters. He's like yeah. my baby. He's married to me. He just doesn't know it yet. Neither does Jordan, his wife. But we're, I'm going to I'm going to get with Jordan. We're going to we're going to. We're your sister wife, your your yeah. your future sister wife. Yeah, 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 exactly. My future sister. Yes, yes. We're gonna set it straight here, okay. And I get him on Saturday nights, girl. All right, <laughs> you get him on Sundays. So one of the best um, uh, moments of my career um, was being backstage with Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters, his first album. Nobody knew that the Foo Fighters were going to explode the way that they did. This was back in 95. Yeah. And the record company's like, whatever you do, because I, I interviewed him too. do whatever mm-hmm. you do. Don't bring up Kirk Cobain. Don't say anything. He's trying to form his new band. He's trying to, you know, establish himself as, as, as an artist. And he doesn't want to talk about that. Yeah. And the arrogant kid that I am, I'm going to talk <laughs> what I want. So I say the radio or the record guy, yeah, I won't say anything. As soon as the mic goes on, Dave, how are you, how are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, how are you doing? And he just busted out laughing. Shh, gizmo. He just busted <laughs> out laughing. He's like, I know for a fact, the record company told you not to bring that shit up. And he just started laughing. He was so cool. He was great. But I mean, I have, yeah, I have, I have stories forever. Like I, we could do, I could do a whole podcast with a hundred episodes on all my freaking rock and roll stories. Some of them so good, some cool. not so good, you know, for the most part, you know, you meet them and you get disappointed. Yeah, you know? really? So it, it's like the don't meet your heroes kind of a, an ordeal with some of a, them? A little bit, a little bit. Like, you know, I don't, I don't want to know that Gwen Stefani's really a bitch. Oh. I, I want to think, you know, you know, I mean, I don't want to know that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a bummer. <laughs> so I don't know that years ago. Yeah, I, that was another highlight where, um. It was a Saturday morning and I used to do a Friday night public appearance and I had to be on the air Saturday morning. And I was always like, "Eh, that was the worst. And they're like, so you're going to be interviewing this, this woman. Um, She's in this new band. That's going to be really big. And you know, she's going to be a huge star. So whatever. So Gwen Stefani comes in my studio and she does an acoustic version of I'm just a girl. Uh-huh. Just like, ah, and that, that shrilly voice. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a girl. And I looked at her and she was wearing a black wig, um, like a short black wig. So not uh-huh. the Gwen Right. But those big brown eyes. And she was, I'll never forget that moment of her being across, you know, my studio and singing. I'm just a girl. And I said to her, Gwen Stephanie, 
you're going to be a huge star. <laughs> uh, she's like, um, it's Stefani. But anyway, she was she was fine there. That was before she was popular. She was fine. And then yeah. like two years later, I was backstage at a, at a show and I saw I'm like, when remember you came in and I, and even if she didn't remember, it was like, don't forget. Don't forget it when you were, you know, who you were, where you came right. from. Because she was like she was like nasty. She was like, like. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Like she was too busy to talk to me. Listen, bitch. I wasn't too busy to talk to you when I was hung over like a pig and you wanted to come on my show and get promoted. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah. So, like, I got the picture of me with Gwen Stefani with her stupid wig before she was popular. But I wanted the I wanted the blonde hair of Gwen Stefani three years later, the pot, you know, the one that everyone knows. I wanted my picture. She wouldn't take the picture with me. But well, we got Photoshop nowadays, so you can yeah, just wig now that it's bitch all right I know. up. And yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's not the same though. You know, it's I wanted not. that original. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They'll original. they'll never know. They'll never know. It's not original. <laughs> right. That's right. So so yeah. So I mean, I've had a lot of great times. A lot of you know, great rock and roll stories. I can go on and on. Like I said, I could do a a, a podcast with a hundred episodes talking about all the shit I've been through with my career. Yeah. But you know where, you know, where it ended me, it ended me, you know, and rehab in the, in the streets, <laughs> doing drugs. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I never blame my career because there's plenty of people, just like I say, people that have had trauma that don't necessarily go out and become alcoholics and drug addicts due to their right. trauma. It's not like everybody that lives the rock and roll lifestyle. Well, most of us, I've almost said it's not like everybody becomes alcoholic and addicts, but most of us do. But I do have plenty of friends that worked in the music industry with me and, and they're not, they're not addicts. So yeah. hence, hence again, you're born with it predisposition. It's laying dormant until you. Yeah. Until uh, something triggers it. And right. So you it trigger it. That's what I was looking for. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that you were back in rehab seven years ago. Was it, was that the last time that you went? Um, no, okay. no, it wasn't. I, the last, the, my last rehab was three and a half years ago. Um, actually, no, I didn't go to rehab three and a half years ago. Three and a half years ago is when I o- overdosed. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. I overdosed. And then I just, I, I stayed sober for three years. And then six months ago, I had a relapse, not even six months ago. Is this like a, a balls to the wall kind of thing whenever you relapsed and overdosed? For the most part, usually it is balls to the walls and you don't get me back But this last run. Thank God. Uh, didn't last long. Good. It didn't last long. And it didn't take me to the, um, you know, the depths that most of the other ones did where it's, overdose arrest or whatever. It didn't take me there. You know, I I caught it quick. It's really inspiring how open you are with all of this. I mean, the fact that you are, you, every day you're waking up and you're, uh, you know, living your sobriety or doing the best that you can and knowing that sometimes you fuck up and then you get back on the horse and you try, try again. Do you ever feel like people are just constantly judging you? Of course. Yeah. Uh, That's why I do the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And people are, 
People yeah. are. And even sober people, when I say that I relapsed, are judging. Um, you know, there's unfortunately there's there's a thing and and I'm not here to say anything bad about AA. It only saves lives. AA is an amazing program. But unfortunately, some are sicker than others. And there's a lot of people in recovery that look down on people that that relapse and they don't realize yeah. that you're just one drink away from a relapse, too. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what is it that like inspires you to be so open about this? Because so many people out there would just feel judged, not want to talk about it. They would hold it up inside. It might end up, you know, that that triggers another relapse or whatever. So why are you so open about it? Well, I can't be afraid of triggering someone else's relapse because we have to recover out loud. You know what I mean? Like we have to recover I have this friggin' horrible disease that tells me that I don't have it. So I need to remind myself every day that I have it. And if it means having a podcast and bringing other people on and to, to remind ourselves what we need to do to help mm-hmm. ourselves and to spread awareness that that's what I'm trying to do. You know, yeah. um, at the end of the day, if I help somebody, if I spread awareness and if I stayed sober myself, then it's been a successful day. And, you know, I want people to know that it's okay to relapse. I mean, I don't, I, I just had a whole podcast about this. Someone asked me if I thought that um, relapse was part of recovery. Cause that's a big thing that they say in, in the recovery mm-hmm. program. Relapse is a part of recovery. No, it is not. It's not a part of, re- of recovery. That's bullshit. That's giving all of us addicts an excuse to use. It's not a part of recovery. Is it a symptom of our disease relapse? Yes, but it's not, it's not a part of recovery by any means, but um, I just need to share my experience, strength and hope with everybody. And when I fuck up, I fuck up, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm not here to, yeah, I'm not on probation. I don't have to worry about the, you know, I don't worry about the, the state putting me in you know jail for saying that I used because I'm not on probation. Right. So let's just get real about how cunning, baffling and powerful this, this disease is. And let's talk about how it brings people down. You know, it's yeah. cunning, baffling and powerful. And you could be great one day, just like my friend that, you know, was celebrating her two year anniversary and everyone thought she was doing great and that there was no way that she would ever go back. And then I go on her Facebook and I see she's dead, you know? <gasps> oh so. my goodness. Right. Oh, it happens every day. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that has to be like eye opening and also, um, well, I guess I don't really know because I'm not an addict. So explain to me, how do you feel whenever you, see somebody that, you know, that is used and has passed away. Do Okay. Do you want to hear the craziest thing that I'm going to yes. like, this is how an addict thinks. And if, if, if you guys are listening and you're an addict, you're going to be like, yeah, she's right. First of all, not the pass away part, but when, uh-huh. when, when, when I, when you hear that somebody, one of your sober fellows goes out and uses for a minute, you get jealous. Uh-huh. You're like, they got to get high. That yeah. sucks. You like they got bitch. to get high. <laughs> You're jealous that they got to get high. And this disease is so crazy that no, when I found out my friend Emily died, I wasn't like, oh, she got to get high. I wasn't thinking that one with, with the death. But when right. we hear other people use, we get jealous that they get to use. Yeah. Um, how do I feel when I found out there's so many different. Is it scary at all? Well, uh, there, first of all, the denial, like 
how could she, she, she finally got her shit together. She was doing so well. No, no. You know, there's gotta be a mistake. What happened? What happened? Yeah. What happened? She felt like using and she used and she didn't do what she, what she needs to do to stay yeah. sober. Um, and then of course, if you're an addict and you're listening, you're going to, uh, I think I identify with this feeling. Nobody wants to see anybody die of addiction, but it's like better them than me. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. It's a terrible thing to say. But it, it, it makes me look at myself like, wow, it happened to her. It didn't happen to me. Yeah. So it makes it more of a reality that it, that, it, that it could happen. It could be you. It could be you. It could be you. As long as we yeah. pick up, it could be any of us. Right. I mean, addiction isn't uh, a prejudice against anyone, right? Like no. it, you're young, old, rich, poor. It uh, doesn't discriminate. That's what I always say. Yeah. And why I get so mad when people judge relapse is because it could be, it could be anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why when people in recovery are judging somebody that, that is having a hard time staying sober, instead of judging them and looking down on them, we need to help them. Yeah. I, we have a lot of judgment going on. Um, you know, so something that I have struggled with before as a person that doesn't have addiction Whenever I have um, somebody over that I know is sober, I'm like, what is the etiquette? Am I, am I allowed to drink this glass of wine? Am I going to offend if I drink this glass of wine? Like my um, mother-in-law's husband, it has been sober for like five or six years now. And, okay. you know, Thanksgiving, whenever he comes over, like this Christmas, I was like, just put the wine away. It was just us and them. I was like, well, we don't need to drink the wine while he's here, you know? But then there are times where he's like, no, no, no. If you want a glass of wine, have wine. But I feel like so awkward about it. And I wonder, yeah. like, from your point of view, um, how would you feel about it or deal with that situation? All right. So if you go out to dinner with a bunch of girlfriends and you're on a diet and one of your friends orders dessert, mm -hmm. she's allowed to order dessert. Right. She can order dessert. You know, I mean, um, if now I would be mindful if it was somebody that's brand new in recovery, that's just starting, you know, maybe even in your, I would say like the first year, mm -hmm. maybe not, you know, may, but at this point, five years sober, um, father-in-law, father-in-law, it's your father-in-law. Yeah. 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 I mean, dude, have your drink. You're not an alcoholic. You're not, it's not. And also another thing I, I tell people, it's like, so if you're going to have just a drink, that's fine because I never want to have a drink. If I'm sitting here watching you have one drink, I'm going to be like, that's not. It's not going to do anything for you. <laughs> no, that's not happening. That's just a waste of calories, girl. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. No, I want to get hammered, you know? Yeah. So if you're just drinking one drink that I'm not going to, uh, you know, but if you start getting tipsy at the dinner table and I can see you're kind of buzzed. Yeah. Then that, that bothers me. It does. Okay. So have your drink, have a drink. Just don't get drunk. Got it. Okay. Don't so, start, don't start acting drunk. Cause then I'm going to get jealous and I'm going to want to get drunk. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. I can understand that. Do you ever get annoyed if people are like tiptoeing around you or do you kind of get it? I get it. I get it. But I, I usually just try to make them feel, but I'm like, listen, have a drink, go have a drink. Um, do I want you to, you know, take a crack pipe out in front of me? Absolutely not. You know, but 
Um, most people don't tiptoe tip around me because I'm so candid about how I feel about that and just have your drink, you know, have a drink. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think back in the earlier days, they used to, uh, people used to like, really like hide all the alcohol, hide all the booze, hide, you know, but yeah. uh, at this point, I don't think anyone does it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> My dog starts barking. I'm really sorry. She's it's okay. Really, Hi, Gizmo. <laughs> that's Gizmo. And then I got Iggy in here too. And she's the bitch. Okay. <laughs> she's the one that's going to, because she wants the attention. That's about- <laughs> yeah. Hi, Iggy. <laughs> We're all attention seekers in this house. Uh, all of us. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean, if someone's listening to this and, uh, you know, someone that's an alcoholic, I would just say just, just gauge, you, you know, the person you got to look at the individual. Are they somebody that keeps falling off the wagon and is struggling with their sobriety? You might not want to have anything around them, you know, but you know, if they've been sober five years and they're solid in the recovery, you know, have at it. Yeah. So what would you, if somebody is listening right now and they are an addict, what would you, what advice would you want to give to them or to your younger self? That's a really, really good question. What I, what I would tell my younger self isn't the same what I would tell someone that's an addict that's struggling. I wouldn't. Okay. My younger self, well, actually, it's really, actually, it's kind of close, what I would say. Yeah. Um, someone's, if somebody is, is out there struggling, are you struggling because you're not sure that you're an addict or you're using too much and you want to stop? Here's okay. So here's how I gauge people that don't have a problem with alcohol and drugs usually don't have to even visit this question. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, um, so my mother was not an alcoholic or an addict. She was codependent, but she never had to question herself. Am I an alcoholic? Like if you have to question that, if you have to question, if you're an alcoholic or an addict, most likely you are. Right. Most likely you are. If that's something that you're questioning, if it's getting in the way of your job, your relationships, um, if you're constantly feeling sick, if you're tired all the time, chances are, you know, you're abusing your body with with alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a million different things that you can do about it, but the first thing that I would do is. I mean, I would walk into an AA meeting or if you, if you're too nervous and you can't go personally, they're on zoom now. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're go to a zoom meeting and you could be anonymous and just listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable with AA, you don't want to go to AA. Um, I would find a therapist, uh, find one that takes your insurance that specializes in addiction, addiction recovery. Now you can't just go to any therapist. Um, cause a good friend of mine that was on the podcast or I was actually on her podcast was telling a story how she went to a therapist and it was just a bad therapist. Yeah. The therapist didn't know anything about addiction. And so the, the therapist was like, just see if you could stop for 30 days. And if you stop for 30 days, then you could pick it up again and, and, and you'll be fine. If you were able to stop for 30 days, you're fine. Well, that's not freaking true. Yeah. We could put down our shit for 30 days. Easy. You know? Yeah. But it's what happens to you when you are using is where you have to gauge whether or not you have a problem, you know, because I mean, I could I could be abstinent for years, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. so you could you could just put it down and, and white knuckle it, 
And that doesn't mean that you're not, you know, and, and when you put down the drugs and alcohol without getting the mental health <clears throat> side of it, then you're just a dry drunk and you're miserable because you're still, you still have the alcoholic thinking yeah. and the drug addict thinking um, and the codependent thinking and all that stuff that goes along with addiction and your relationships. You don't deal with any of that. So your mind doesn't get straight and you're not getting high. So it just makes you a freaking bitch. Yeah. You're just fucking miserable then. You're psycho. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You make yeah. a good point though. There are bad therapists out there. And then there are therapists that specialize in certain things. It, that's a really good point to tell people, like, make sure you're going to the therapist that specializes in the thing that you need to heal yourself or to help yourself. So important. So important, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause there's, there's some really bad advice out there and there's a lot of people that, that are, are dangerous out there. Another thing that like freaked me out. I saw, um, this on social media was somebody posted something about like medication, um, antidepressants, mm -hmm. and that's kind of controversial in AA a little bit. That's kind of controversial. In AA. So the, this woman went on this person's page and said, you shouldn't, or, or, or I am a certified health coach and you shouldn't take any medicine for your mental health. Now this is where it gets dangerous. Okay. So she's a certified mental health coach, meaning right. she probably went to like an eight hour class or something, mm -hmm. maybe if that, yeah. or bought a certificate, like saying you're a coach, like no bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. That is such dangerous advice that that person is giving out because someone that doesn't know any better is mm -hmm. going to read that and go off their meds. Um, and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And then somebody so, yeah. gets hurt or they get hurt themselves or yeah. 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 There's a lot of bad advice out there. A lot of bad therapy, a lot of bad coaches. You yeah. Know? Yeah. In the so. internet, you can say anything. It doesn't fucking matter. Like if nobody is out there, like making sure nobody's fact checking, everything right. on the internet, you know? No, no, it's, it's really scary. It's terrible. Yeah. Oh. So well, this has been an eye opening conversation. I really appreciate you coming on with me today. Well, yes. And like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, it's hard for me to come on with you because I don't like being next to the, the squares <laughs> here. Can you like face at me or give me good hair or something? You are gorgeous. <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> All right. So yes. And is there anything else? Anything else? Yeah. Tell people where they can go to find you and your podcast and all things Jennifer Wild. That is important. All things Jen Wild, minus the dog barks. Um, <laughs> actually, you might get a call. You might get a few dog barks on my um Instagram. Oh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna listen. Oh, my TikTok. Ooh, nice. Now my TikTok isn't so much about recovery. It's more about TNA and being over 50 and working out and healthy lifestyle. But I found that that's how I get followers on TikTok is showing up half naked. So yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's enjoyable for all. It's great. It's uh, I get to get naked. You get to watch. <clears throat> um, it's sober exposure. That's my TikTok. And Sober exposure underscore podcast is my Instagram awesome. and my podcast is sober exposure. And you can just go to sober exposure dot show um, to hear any episodes or just like Google. If, if you freaking Google sober exposure, my friggin' face pops up. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
you get you. <laughs> You're fine. You'll find me. Yes, you'll find oh. me. And if yeah, but and mostly I'm here. If you are listening and you or someone you love is struggling with addiction, please reach out to me, message me. We'll get we'll find you the right place. We'll find you help. Yes, and in a no judgment zone, which I appreciate about you. Please, who the fuck am I to judge? <laughs> Look at me, I'm a mess. <laughs> Oh, guys, I am going to put Jen's information in the show notes. So if you want to find her, I'll make it really, really easy for you. And guys, don't forget, even if you are not nailing it this week, quite like me, you're still going to get that participation trophy. See ya. 